Hello and welcome to the Cars of the Decade. I'm Sean Smith. I'm joined by all my normal co-hosts, Sam Green. Hello. James Montgomery. Why, hello. Alistair Walker. Morning all. Christopher Strinkles. Good morning. And and myself. Hey, how's it going? Um, right, boys. New day, new decade. We're into the 30s. Yeah, when people decided guns was a good idea. <laughs> well, they had to do something with their time. I mean, there was a Great Depression. They couldn't afford anything else. Yes, so building something that's not actually any use to anybody at all other than for death, good idea. Hello, Hello, all my American listeners from the South. <laughs> right, okay, boys, it's the 30s. So the 20s, basically, race car-wise, everything was the same. Everything just went really fast in a straight line and was pretty boring. 1930s comes along. Today's the race car episode, by the way. Um, things get interesting. So let's. They, they go even faster in a straight line and even slower around the corner and bigger crashes and bigger deaths and bigger bangs. Well, yeah, bigger, if you're there was more crashes because more people tried to go round corners in them exactly. and then yeah. worked out that they couldn't at the time still. There if you're American, go. you'd just turn left. <laughs> yes, you do. And you'd have white tyres on your car. Yes, mm-hmm. white wall tyres. Well, white tyres will stop, won't they? Uh, yeah, I think they were white, just generally white tyres. They hadn't been coloured black yet. Anyway, so today on Stable Automotive's Cars of the Decades, we're going to be discussing the race cars of the 1930s. Um, a time which, actually, we actually have some race cars today that people will recognise. And, yeah, aren't, and, and aren't land speed records. So, uh, apart from mine. Apart from Chris's. But, you know, Chris is, Chris is now the resident mad shit that no one knows about. Well, I mean, somebody's going to make it interesting. Right, let's start with the one that everybody will know. Uh, Sam? Yes? You've chosen a very posh Audi. Uh, yes, I have. I've chosen the Auto Union Type C, uh, which was their Grand Prix car from kind of the... There's no exact date because they all kind of mesh into one, but it was between 34 and 37, the AB and <coughs> used. Uh, had a 3-litre V12... 550 brake horsepower, and it, wa- it, it wheel spinned at over 100 miles an hour. <laughs> That's quite fast. It's quite fast, considering there's no belts, no doors, no safety at all. You're basically sitting on the front axle, um, and all of the engine and all of the weight is behind you in a massive pendulum. It's quite cool, and it, I've seen the car once at Goodwood, and it was incredible. It's just fantastic. What engine did you say it had? A 3 litre? 3 litre V... Uh, no, sorry, it was V16. I was about to bloody yeah. say. Uh, I, I was going <laughs> to... Actually, there was two variants. The a, the Type A, B and C ran the 6 litre V16. The 3 litre V12, uh, you're quoting, Sam, that was the Type, in, D. type D. It was a yeah. uh, final variant to try and make the thing more controllable. It was also in the 30s, which is later, and I picked it. Do you know what I love about that car? And how did it? And when it raced, so it raced. Sorry to interrupt. It raced in the European Championship, and in 1936, four of the drivers were Nazis, literal well, it was, Nazis. It was kind of funded by Nazi Germany, yes. Hence why it's the Auto Union. Yeah. But yes, that's why it's Auto Union, not Audi. Um, but it was kind of a Porsche as well. Yeah, Ferdinand Porsche was one of the, the main designers of it. Yeah, he was involved in the design and sort of not so much running of the team, but the design of the car. Um, and it was it just basically beat basically everything. 
unless you're, well, unless you're a silver arrow. Yeah, Mercedes won everything, but the, the the auto union was up there with it. Basically, those two cars together just obliterated the field with everything well, else. What you have to try and remember as well is that when they came to like the British Grand Prix, which is at Donington, hmm. um, and I don't know, if it, the circuit was really cool. It was enormous. It was huge compared to what Donington is now. Uh, most of it was basically country roads. Um, and there was this thing with its V16 engine racing against like two litre four cylinder sunbeams and stuff like that. That was that they were like dominant in UK racing, but then in the the World or European Grand Prix Championship, whatever it was, at that one, I think it was a World Championship. Basically, pre F1. Um, yeah. It was essentially yeah the precursor to Formula One <laughs> Grand Prix, um, and. Yeah, this just absolutely obliterated the little sunbeams, obviously. Um, there's a picture of from that race. It's the Mercedes, to be fair, but it's uh, flying over one of the crests at Donington, which is pretty cool. And I can imagine that these were even hairier over there because all the weight is on the rear axle. So it would have gone very, very light at the front and then wheel spun. That crest is where the Melbourne hairpin is now. Is it? Yeah, it's essentially still the same layout, it's just elongated, so like all the craner curves, is all exactly the same, it's just back then it was all going through like a wooded uh, dry yeah, land yeah. area, rather than now it's all been bulldozed and it's all nice open land, but you know, essentially the layout is the same, it's just where the Melbourne hairpin is now, that was the right kink which the cars would have gone over and then down the hill into the valley behind the circuit, where the hairpin would have been there, Mm. And then they would have climbed back up the hill on the, the valley, essentially doing the same layout as what you see there. Um, and then instead of going along that straight into the final left hairpin, forget that last bit of straight existed, it just kinked left and joined straight back onto the craner curves again, if yeah. that makes sense. This is a very special yeah. car for a lot of reasons, um, partially because yes. it's so... Uh, iconic in terms of its look especially the streamlined version um, yeah but it's also uh, it's a car that almost everyone knows they if you re if you've seen it once you'll remember it for, for your entire life mm. um but also as you say it was completely dominant in the sort of um nazi eras which you know yeah. but which you know right. before before they started you know doing mass murders and that sort of thing it was it was it was pretty cool it was a state-funded racing team yeah, it was supposed to show and how great Germany was. And it, and it did. And it did, so between that and the, the Silver Arrows. Uh, I think, particularly for me, Sam, disclaimer here, I also picked this car as my uh, car of uh, the 30s as well. This uh, one, is one of the... should have spoken about it beforehand. No, 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 Surprise, bombshell, ba -ba boom. Slash, um, he forgot. This is how we all ended up with a... Austin 7 the last time. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, but that, that car deserved it. Yeah, exactly. No, nothing beats Bridget. Car, don't forget Oh god! It wasn't from the twenties. They also oh, sold about seven. Mitsubishi what? Um, anyway, anyway well, one of the reasons why I, for me, I prefer the Auto Union over the Mercedes is okay. Granted, the Mercedes was statistically a better car. The Auto Union was a more revolutionary car because I believe it was one of the first successful rear-engined. Uh, cars there were. It was one of yeah. the first cars essentially designed to try and utilise 
cornering performance as well as just going quick down the street. And yes, um, when you, you look know, at it, it was racing against, it was very much the same sort of things as we were seeing in the twenties, like the Alfa Romeos and um, the Maseratis and stuff hadn't changed a huge amount. Um, mm. Bugattis were still basically the same as they had been. Um, and like I said, the, the Sunbeams were just as they are even sort of, they just didn't change. Um, mm. Whereas this completely, it's kind of the first modern single-seater, if you look at it that way, with the yeah. mid-to-rear engine layout, rear-wheel drive. Um, of course, this car, there's, there's a big gap between the, the auto union than what we initially saw in Grand Prix racing, because of course, when you look at the Alfa Romeo Tipo 308 from that sort of era, that is what the Grand Prix cars will look like 20 years later. Exactly. The, yeah. the, the problem, the, there was two reasons for that, really. I mean, the first one was, as much as I love the Auto Union, it was too revolutionary for its time. Uh, because it was the first of its kind, it was either going to be a kind of make-or-break thing. Uh, it did win some races, but there was just too many issues with it. And the biggest issue, really, is when you have a 6-litre V16 wallowing behind you. And uh, let's be serious, these cars didn't really have decent tyres, brakes, or suspensions on it. Oh, no, no. The, the rest of the components couldn't support the layout. And it was only by the late 50s, once Cooper kind of nailed it with better tyres, with better suspension, and essentially just a better balanced car with only a 2-litre straight-four engine in it, that all of a sudden the whole package became much more feasible. Uh, the other problem was World War Two. Uh, yeah. That kind of that kind of crippled all research. Uh, I, I believe the Auto Union. You, if World War Two hadn't have happened, you would have seen rear-engine cars in the 40s. Yeah. Because uh, the war happened, obviously all the money went to the war. Quite rightly so. We had to get peace back on the on again. But, <laughs> Sorry, uh, it, you're, it, you're it saying meant... quite rightly so when we talk about Auto Union. So the Germans taking the money away to build their own tanks because, of it. but that's a, a technical point. Never mind. Carry on. Uh, that's a technical <laughs> point, not a technical point, yeah. um, No, no, no. no. Let's, let's keep this Nazi party with the auto union separate to Nazi party in World War II because in the 30s they did a lot to well, actually yeah. build up the German econ yeah. economy again and this was just one of the examples of what they had done to try and rebuild their economy and give people something to do and just make Germany a place which is proud again. What happened afterwards, I obviously do not support and no. uh, we're not going to be talking about that anymore. Nope. Anyway, uh, also because, of, because of World War II, this meant that rear-engine cars didn't, well, there was no finance to develop it, so when uh, racing got underway again in the late 40s, all the cars that were being used were just what was left from the late 30s. I yeah. Mean, yeah. The Alfa Romeo, which won the first two championships in F1, that was built in 1938. Case yeah. in point. There you go. Just, just pre-war. Yes. That's, we're going to come on to something similar in a minute when it's my car, but uh, yeah, the fact is, as you say, Monty, the the, the stemming of, war, of of the car in general did happen because of this, and it was, you know, these sort of... Uh, Expensive. I'm, well, I imagine it was very expensive. The Auto Union with its uh, one of a kind sort of nature. It was. Yeah. The figure I found was half a million Reichsmarks, which in the 30s is an enormous amount of money to build one car. Yeah, but the Type C, you know, it was absolutely an incredible car, revolutionary. And also, have we actually said how fast the top speed was yet? It was about 160, 170 miles an hour. So More than that, know. mate. 
Was it? It was 211. Yes, was that the streamliner that did that? Where are you quoting that? Wikipedia, uh, boys! Oh, oh my god. There's a table at the bottom that lists them all. Yeah. There was a replica which did uh, plus 200 mile an hour, but I thought the original ones were 170, 180. It says the Type A was 174. There you go. We're talking about Type C though, but, uh, but regardless, it was a car pushing the literal oh, limits yeah. of race cars at the time, and it's incredible for it. Um, yeah. <coughs> Anything else? I've just seen that. I've just seen that. Even though it's a V16, I've just seen it's fi only 500 horsepower. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, yeah. You, you say <laughs> only 500, but look, look at the torque and the tires. Yeah. And the revs, yes. it only revs to like three or four wow. thousand. Barely yeah. working. It's, so it's, it's a precursor to Audi's uh, diesels, Le Mans cars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah 629 yeah. pounds feet of torque at 2,500 RPM, which is basically idle. <laughs> That's half the idle speed of an F1 car from the V8 era. Also, weird, interesting little fact, it's kind of the first Formula V. Oh, oh because it has a Beetle semi-trailing arm. <laughs> right, that's it for the, for the auto... I nearly said Audi. The auto union uh, Type C. Great car. Very successful. And sadly, there's only one left. Yes, unfortunately. Which I got to watch Jackie X drive a couple of years ago. I've seen it in hill climbs back, actually, at Goodwood, with its double rear tyres on, and that's quite cool. Mm. But yeah, there's still one more than the B and A, which... To the to to everyone's knowledge, at least, don't exist anymore. Um, but anyway, let's move on. Uh, 1930s, of course, it wasn't all about Grand Prix racing. There was a, a lot more than that. So, my car, just you know, just to big up Germany a bit more, the BMW 328, a car which looks like a modern BMW with the colossal grille on the front. Yeah, I've actually worked on a few of these, and I have driven one, and they are actually very nice. Even like now, they're, they're obviously you have to sort of double clutch and stuff like that. It's not quite that modern, but it's it's relatively easy to drive. And when I was at my previous job, we we still ran these in races at Goodwood and Silverstone and things like that, as well as them doing like long distance rallies like the Mille Amelia um, mm. and London to Brighton and stuff like that. Just in they're, they're just a really good car. I'll be totally honest. It is a good car, and the re now the reason I've picked this over say well I actually thought of the Auto Union Type C before I thought I, just, I was like no everyone else is going to pick that so I had to be a bit more inventive so I had to find a reason to pick this car now Auto Union yeah it won Grand Prix races but uh, it's the, the BMW it's uh, it won the Mille Miglia in race trim and through its very long lifespan it won its class at Le Mans 24 hours it was also an RAC rally winner I mean, how's that for a, for a wide scene? Very, very versatile, wasn't it? Hugely versatile. Mm. Do a bit of everything, really. According to Wikipedia again, the 328 had more than 100 class wins in 1937, including RA, RAC Tourist Trophy, the something in German Alpenfahrt, and ha. La Turbine Hill Climb. In 1938, the 328 won its class in the RAC Tourist Trophy, the Alpine Rally, and the Millimilia. Uh... But it also carried on further. It kept winning for years. It uh, Frank, oh my God, what does that say? 
Pratt, yeah, Frank yeah. Frank Pratt won the 1948 Australian Grand Prix driving a 328. So that is a 10-year lifespan across multiple uh, divisions of motorsport. And very successful in all of them. And it's also a quite good-looking car, I think. I think, yeah, I quite like them. Um, I prefer the ones with the enclosed rear wheels. I think they're quite cool, but they are inconvenient. Yes. Mm. Um, Agreed. Especially for racing. But, I mean, there's a lot of them about as well, even now. Um, in uh, they were sold. Uh, uh, are you sure they're not the uh, the current free series? Sam, you're thinking of there. Oh yeah, yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, interesting story. We needed a car cover for one of these um, for one of our race events, whatever it was. Just to sort of just to keep the water off of it, kind of thing. It had no roof. Um, <clears throat> so we uh, rung the people who normally do our car covers, and they had a new guy. They didn't know what we did, so we said, oh, we need a car cover for a BMW 328. <laughs> um, and he was like, oh, okay, so that'll be probably a medium or large. And we're like, no, definitely not. No, definitely be a small. And he's coming back on the phone like, no, no, it will definitely, no, mate, uh, trust me, I've got one. It's definitely a medium or a large. He's like, no, 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 I'm standing in front of it. It's a small. <laughs> so, yeah, we got got the manager on the phone instead and he went, oh yeah, yeah, we'll send you a small. But it was quite funny how this guy thought he knew more about the car than we did because he was getting completely wrong and thought it was the modern 328. I mean, it's kind of our fault for not telling him, but that's part of the fun. Uh, <laughs> they were also, they were sold in the UK after the war when kind of no one really wanted a BMW um, in the UK. They were sold as a Fraser Nash. Uh, uh, yeah. Literally, all they did, quite literally, all they did to start with was take the badge off, paint the blue bits green, and paint over BMW and put Fraser Nash and put the badge back on. I mean, that but sounds. Sold it as that. That sounds about right. And then eventually they <clears> converted <throat> them to right hand drive, but initially they were still left hand drive, Fraser Nash. Well, that's what people did with, did with Austin 7, so, you know. Oh, that's true, that is true. Uh, and we had a few of those Nashes as well, and that, again, they're, they're exactly the same. So you can get parts, you can still get parts from BMW. It's a bit expensive, but you can. Yeah. So there you go. Nice. Good that's car. My, that's my choice, really, just because it's yeah. it's so wide ranging. Although it's not, you know, as quick as an Auto Union or, you know, some other. Some, a car, let's just say a, a choice other car, which is going to be uh, brought up by Al in a minute. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I just think it's really cool. It's it's a car, which still you can still see the BMW heritage in there. Uh, yeah. You can still it's it's white. That's a BMW color, so well done there. Uh, it also also it reminds me of sort of like a, a sort of Corella de Villiers car, which is sort of what the the nineteen thirties, the all the road cars. Yeah, but we'll, get, we'll get we'll get to that next month in the next episode. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's a cool car. It's it 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 did lots of races it won a lot a, a lot of races and uh well done it so that's all i've got to say really well done bmw yeah yeah here here so uh al you still here yes i am good you've been sitting quietly um tell me mate you've got a, a slightly right of field candidate here for car of the decade race car 
No, I've got a reasonably well-known one, and a car that still holds a circuit record to this day. Can I say, oh out of all the cars... Granted, they kind of demolished the circuit, yeah. so um, <laughs> I don't know if we count that as cheating or not. Nah, definitely not. Now, I'm going to say, out of all the cars here, Al's car is easily the most striking. And, and probably the best looking. Yes, yeah. it's because it's a big, long, chrome thing. Yes. And I mean, genuinely huge, if Al, you've ever what been is near your the car? thing. So my choice is the Napier Railton, which was mm. a 24-litre aero-engined car that they built for Brooklands. Yes, they did. So, 24 litres, so stick that, Sam and Monty, with your 16 <laughs> litres. That's a I mean, it's still only W12. Yes, and in comparison to the Auto Union, it didn't develop that much extra power. It developed 580. <laughs> so but, it more horsepower. <laughs> but what was the torque like on it? I'm actually been... not sure off the top of my head. I didn't manage to find figures for the torque for that engine. I'm, I'm looking at the power figures and it's showing 580 horsepower at 2,500 revs. That's just... That's that's... Basically, had it had tyres in the 30s actually had grip, it would have torn up the concrete that made up the circuit of Brooklyn, <laughs> not moved forward. I, I, think if it, I think if the car had grip, then it would have shook all the person's teeth out as well. God. Yes, because so obviously it still holds the lap record at Brooklyn at an average speed of 143.44 miles an hour. Again, people and, in the 30s. Yes, one yeah. in the 30s and two. Brooklyn's was the first ever purpose built racetrack, and it's very different from <clears throat> modern racetracks. A modern racetrack, the surface is lovely, smooth. It occasionally has some undulations if you go to somewhere like the Nurburgring or. Laguna Seca. Tracks back Bro then. Yeah, Brooklyn's was more or less noble, and it was, yeah, it was rough, I think, even in the 30s. If anyone listening is in the UK, I encourage, or is visiting, I encourage you to go visit it. Brooklyn's is a really interesting place to visit. Yeah, and they have the Napier sat there in their collection. You can also go see Mercedes World, which is cool. Yes, which is Brooklyn's is the best thing. That's the best way to go. Uh, just, just for comparison, guys, on how rough the surface is, so the, uh, the circuit was constructed using slabs of concrete rather than uh, like one continuous ribbon of tarmac. So the, the only way one could compare this to anything you'd experience is um, when you're in a plane taxiing and you, it's the same kind of construction there, and you feel the plane going over it, and that's a plane doing 30 mile an hour over it, which is all heavy and suspensions. Imagine one of these race cars going along that kind of surface, <laughs> but doing 170, 180 mile an hour. It's not going to be it's going to be no, there's then, no... you're going to throw like a 35 degree banking in there for good measure, and uh, it's all good fun. There's yeah, so this is probably what makes the 143-mile-an-hour average speed round Brooklyn's even more amazing. It's if you look at period photos, the car wasn't actually touching the track for half of the lap. Had it actually stayed on the track, it probably would have done 145 or something. Yeah. <laughs> no, what, 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 that's an average speed, by the way. That doesn't mean it was its top speed. Because no, I mean, if you think true. of F1 cars... You know, most of the circuits they go to, it's 130, 140 mile an hour yeah, average but... speed as well. But So for, for something like this, it's going quick for most of the lap. Um, it's also worth pointing out with this car in particular, uh, I know its top speed was more capable of plus 170 mile an hour. Uh, 
it only has rear brakes. Yeah. What? No front brakes at all. There's mm. only rear brakes. Wow. Brakes are for sissies. You don't want to lock off that car then? No, you don't. No, you do not. And it did actually find some alternative uses after its life as a racing car. Um, I do remember reading in my research on this car that I believe after the Second World War, it was briefly used for testing parachutes for planes. And you <laughs> or testing you drag chutes. <laughs> well, that, right. that shows you're fast enough if you need to be tested for planes. It probably also helped to the lack of front brakes that you had another way of slowing it yeah, down, to be fair. <laughs> I think my favourite stat about this car is the uh, the fuel um, figures. So, again, Wikipedia. Big up Wikipedia. Um, the capacity of 65 gallons and fuel consumption was approximately 5 miles to the gallon. Which yeah. which sounds terrible until you think of like race cars, like F1 cars these days, which isn't much more than that, to be honest. No, I mean, to be fair, that's for a racing car, that's not bad. And when you consider the engine is 24 litres and wants to eat all of the fuel <laughs> all of the time. And it must, it must have been on max fossil fuels, all of it, surely. Definitely. Pretty much. Yeah, I, I don't imagine on when John Cobb did the 143 mile an hour average lap that he lifted. Mm. Was yeah. it a chassis, do we know, or was it altered from something else because a lot of these cars it was like it was a bus chassis yeah no I believe the car on it. I believe the Napier Railton was it was a chassis built around an aero engine so I think it is actually a bespoke chassis built around the engine that they were able to get that would make sense yeah. Napier at the time obviously we heard about them I think a lot in the 20s where quite a few land speed record cars were based on Napier engines yeah, Napier powered weren't they yeah, very big engines and a lot of power from them. Mm. Uh, yeah, when you've not got many corners to worry about, that's no problem. You, you just go very, very fast. Yes, I do not imagine that one would have wanted to crash this car. One, it has no safety features. Two, it probably weighs more than a small bus nowadays. <laughs> and three, Brooklyn's had no safety features. No, if you that was one of the greatest, the greatest safety feature, though, is if you do have a crash, the crash will be about half a mile away while you're flying <laughs> straight through the air, hopefully to a somewhat comfortable landing on this incredibly hard concrete. Or in a I mean, if you were lucky, you might go over the edge of the set. Yeah. No one thought to actually build a retaining wall around Brooklyn's. If you, so get if you went too high, hard, you would hard. actually fall off the edge. That's alright. You, <laughs> you just, just like grab onto a tree or something. <laughs> um, yeah, that worked for Jean Beer, didn't it? Yeah, fair point. Yeah, I don't think that works at 140. And if you went the other <laughs> way, there were little concrete... Well, there were, there were little brick marshals huts, which, again, at 140 miles an hour, it's going to hurt. Mm, just a bit. So yeah, let us be glad that the Napier Railton actually survived all of this. Yes. Mm. Have you seen it running before, Al? I don't know if I have, in all honesty. I can't remember if it was at Brooklyn's or at Festival of Speed. Because um, it is quite often at the Goodwood Festival of Speed as well, actually. Uh, and it does run, and they do drive it. Um, they quite often will take it up the hill, and you can see it occasionally... Uh, you will actually see it just driving about at Brooklyn's when they've finished working on it. They need to make sure it's actually running, so they'll just drive it around the car park for a bit. Mm. 
Oh, cool. uh, this is the best thing about Brooklands is that a lot of the cars do run and do actually be, get used for only demonstration purposes, obviously, but to show it, it's a, it is a working museum kind of thing. Um, it's not just cars gathering dust in a, in a shed. They are actually race cars that do get used, and that's, that's the good thing about it. And the people that are there, the volunteers, are really good, super knowledgeable, and that, that's one of the reasons why... Uh, that museum is definitely worth going to. It's also a very good mirror. It is very shiny, this car. Yes, I think the gentleman's from Mad Max would have liked this. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking half the way it's probably just polish to keep the chrome going. Quite possibly. Um, well, I imagine the wax is quite slippery. Yeah, fair point. You know, aerodynamics and all. Good for, that's, good. It's, uh, that's for wet weather, Chris. Just have the, the rain stream off it. Yeah. I did hear that the uh, currently Formula One teams put four hours of polishing into their cars, and that saves them a thousandth of a second. So imagine how fast <laughs> this will be. Yeah. Take around Indy. Yeah. <laughs> no. Actually, it probably would have been uh, had they been able to get it there at the time. It probably wouldn't have done badly at Indianapolis. No, it probably wouldn't have done. Um, any closing thoughts on this one? Now I think it's it's just it's, it's another really it's a really cool car. Yeah. It's, it's probably. I think. An iconic car and the lap record holder at the first ever racing circuit. I believe it's a race car that deserves to be recognised. 100%. Yep. Totally agreed. It also says here they broke the world speed record. But that's... Uh... Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's just literally a car built for speed, but also racing. So it's cool. It is the best of both worlds. Right. Now we get to the surprise. <laughs> Christopher Strickland. <laughs> So I know literally nothing about this car. This is really hard. However, <laughs> so however, it's not the same place as the audience. Yep. So I know literally nothing about this car. However, it is one of the most is the one of the most important Japanese race cars ever because without so. it, without it, Ayrton Senna wouldn't have won his Formula One championships. Um. Honda probably wouldn't have won multiple MotoGP championships. Um, and there probably wouldn't be a motorsport slash sports car division within Honda, as it is today, as we know it. So my car is called the Hanamatsu, and it was driven by Shirichio... Oh, not Shirichio. was driven by Honda himself. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Honda. Sakairo Honda. Sakairo. No, sure. Shochiro Honda. Shochiro Honda. Shochiro. No, Yeah, Shochiro Honda. Thank you. Shochiro Honda. And it was essentially a Curtis Wright 8 litre V8 aircraft engine bolted to a. Well, I don't think it actually says what type of frame, but I imagine a ladder chassis frame um, that ran on wooden wheel spoke wheels. Nice. Uh, and apparently had 100 brake horsepower at 1400 RPM. Nice. <laughs> uh, and he did, so he did, 120 kilometers an hour in the All Japan Speed Rally in 1936. What's that in English? 70? Uh, yeah, it's about 70. But 70 miles an hour with just an aircraft engine, a seat and some wooden wheels is mad. But it did nearly kill him, and it did pretty much ruin his brother's life. 
Yes, so, I, I was going to say this is the one where he was essentially left blind in his left eye from this, wasn't he? He was indeed. Turbocharged Ford, nice. Yeah, so basically he was driving at the first Japanese race at a dedica at, at a dedicated racetrack. Uh, what's the name of the track? Kamagawa. Uh, Kamagawa Speedway. Tamagawa. Yeah, Tamagawa Speedway in 1936. Um, and he, as he was, I think it was as he was leaving the pits, um, another race car pulled out in front of him. So he was doing 120 kilometers an hour. Uh, and another car that was in the pits that was undergoing repairs came out. And the resultant crash, crash between Honda um, and this other bloke was that the car barrel rolled and then flipped end over end pretty much destroying his brother's back but leaving him with a with a pretty much blind in his left eye but if he hadn't have done that he wouldn't have invested any money and time into the Honda Motorsport division as we know it today because without him doing those races he would never have developed a love for motorsport and a yeah. passion for motorsport so I mean it's got to be Got to be up there, but I think I loved it how that his in in the innovation within the car was as they were running on ovals essentially um, and counterclockwise. He decided to tilt the engine left to make it run easily. Wow! So it wasn't just that's a good idea. It wasn't just <clears throat> as we would normally be perpendicular to the axles. It was tilted slightly to help it run during a counterclockwise race. That's cool. Uh, and then he fitted it with a supercharger. As you do. As you do, but it did overheat, so he then fitted it with an auxiliary radiator. So you sat there going, well, this bloke has gone, well, I need more power, but now it's overheating, so I'm going to fit a radiator to help it from, to stop it from overheating, and then I'm going to go race it and do 120 miles an hour around an oval, <laughs> sorry, 120 kilometers an hour around an oval with wooden wheels. <laughs> that's the, the man bit. is mad. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's one of Chris's heroes, he's now just calling mad. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I think it is quite an important point in Japanese motorsport, though, really, isn't it? It's the first kind of Honda race well, yeah, car. Well, yeah, I suppose it was one that was designed by him and his team in Hanamatsu branch office of Art Shokai, apparently. Um, but yeah, no, without that engine, or without that car, he would have never retired from racing, and he would have never started up his business um, of tuning cars, which then led him to develop the Honda branch, which then he sold to Toyota to then spend the money he sold developing the Honda Technical Institute that he then went on to start building cars of his own. So I mean, albeit mm. you know, it's quite a devastating part of his life. It set him up to then become the, the juggernaut that Honda is now. You can see why he wanted the F one cars to be in there many years later. If he's if he's doing this in the thirties. Well, exactly, yeah. I mean, in the 60s, he would have been, what, maybe in his mid-50s? He would have been almost 60. He was born in uh, 1906. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, he's, he, he would have been pushing to have, the, to have his F1 cars in there. And, I mean, you know, without this initial love of motorsport from this 8-litre aircraft engine, you know, he would have never developed... Oh, it would have never developed into the Honda we know that today. It's just a shame there's not much more information apart from it. You know, having a hundred horsepower at fourteen hundred RPM, which is not bad. 
Oh yeah, but it's more, mm. it's more the story behind it and what this car led to, which is the entire Honda Corporation. Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much. Because if he'd have killed himself, you'd never have Honda. <laughs> and if you never had Honda, then you'd never had all the achievements that Honda have done throughout the years. You know, winning multiple Formula One World Championships, multiple MotoGP, MotoGP World Championships, etc., etc., etc. And Civics in McDonald's car park. Exactly. And Civics in McDonald's car park. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe, um, well, maybe we could be given that. The Civic is nice. It's just a lot of morons decided to take it up as a their icon car, which is a shame. <laughs> we wouldn't have had the yeah, NSX. He's building like, NSX, so. which is what, the the, one of the best. Or the S2000. Or the new Civic Type R, which is cool to a certain extent. Or the Accord. Or the Accord. Yeah. yeah. We could go on and on and on. Yeah. So without... This so technically without this accident, none of that would have ever happened. Yeah, we'd have never had the Earth car. No. Thank you, Sakara Honda, for your bad driving abilities and giving us so many years of pleasure in your engineering <laughs> prowess. So yeah, I mean, we don't we don't do this, but is there a winner out of these four? I, don't I mean, think, I I don't think so. It's but, difficult, isn't it? I think they're all. Good. I can't pick one. If you could have one, which one would you have? Napier. Ooh. I'd love to own the Napier. I definitely wouldn't want to own mine. <laughs> I know that much. What? <laughs> you wouldn't like to own your, your crashed car? Wasn't that your conclusion, conclusion with the Mitsubishi Model A as well? <laughs> Sorry? <laughs> Wasn't that your conclusion with the Mitsubishi Model A as well? Oh, no, I'd have one of them. Which one? The Model A. No, I mean, which one of the seven they made? <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> well, I think they were all the, probably the one they made last, because at least then it probably had the most... Yeah, it but was by, the cleanest. No, no, because by the But that's a 30s car, not a 20s car by that point. Yeah. <laughs> probably, yeah. Anyway. But, uh, Sorry. I think, yeah, all these cars, they have their place in history. They all set up brands for bigger and better things through the years, so uh, apart from Napier, because they don't exist anymore. Well, no. No. Um, not really. Mm. But uh, yeah, that's that's going to do it for um, Steve Automotive's Cars of the Decades, uh, 1930s race cars edition, Monty. Um, just that's an inside joke for b- before this podcast. <laughs> uh, next month we'll be doing the road cars, Monty, and uh, yeah. So please do join us for that. Thank you very much to Monty, Sam, Chris, and Alistair for joining me once again. I already have next time's car. Good. And it's Thank you. Not Pleasure was obscure. all yours. Ooh. Ooh. That's, that's, that's boring, Chris. What's wrong with you? I know, right? Um, until, this, until then, uh, gentlemen, thank you for, for listening. Uh, listening? Uh, well, yeah, that too. And um, and contributing. Uh, thank you for listening, everyone else. Join us on social media, that sort of thing. Uh, ask Debbie Auto. And we'll see you on the next one. Take care and goodbye. Have fun. Be safe.